uh, kind of cuts to the heart of the New Testament. And it's a story about Peter uh, when he's first challenged with including non-Jewish folks as a Jew himself into the Jesus movement, into this, this new movement that people who were participants of said they were following the way, were following the way of Jesus. But because of the, the ethnic community that Peter came from, the apostle and Jews and Jesus himself, it, it stirred up all these complexities in, in trying to include people that weren't like themselves, socially, culturally, from the world, from the Judeo worldview at the time. One scholar puts that challenge in the New Testament this way, this cutting to the heart, this cutting to the heart of the New Testament issue. We have that here. Says the inclusion of Gentiles into the Jesus movement and on what term and on what terms is hands down the most controversial issue rocking the New Testament. It's the central debate guiding most of the New Testament documents. So why was there such a gravity to this issue? Why was it so difficult to include non-Jewish folks into this new movement, into the way of Jesus? And it actually centers around these, this, these passages, these directions given to the people of Israel in Leviticus, a much earlier book. And the emphasis of these directions, these laws, was for Israel to be this set-apart community, a community that's fully without compromise in a land that was chalked all of it. And uh, these laws that Jews have historically, then and still today, have shown just like this incredible amount of fidelity to, there's kind of three that are just loom really large. Can anybody list a couple of them? What, a couple of these laws that are still kind of in common vernacular today when you think of Jewish folks. Keeping the Sabbath. Bingo, that's, that's the first one, yeah. I have three, but there might be a couple more that I've missed. Sabbath, any others? Is there a particular food that Jewish people eat? Kosher. Kosher. And is there, is there a, like a less talked about one? It's just... So this is where it got interesting for me when, when looking at this issue is that the backdrop of the New Testament and with regards to this issue is that 150 years before there was this humongous revolt. It's called the Maccabean Revolt and it's when the, and I'm not a historian so I'm trying to wear the hat. But it's when there was this, this other ruling authority in the land of Israel, I believe it's called the, the Seleucids. Seleucids, there you go. Wikipedia didn't, didn't teach me that. <laughs> and they were governing, they were there 150 years before, and they did this one thing that just totally set a flame to the Jews, and it's that they, they banned Judaism. So in Jerusalem, the, there, was this, there was this revolt because the governing party said no longer can there be any any practicing of the Jewish faith. And like that just that caused a massive upheaval, upheaval, a big revolt that was this bloody coup. And it actually ended up being where the Jews won back their independence. So when we read about the apostles relativizing these laws, in particular those three, and trying to welcome people that do not have never fit into their storyline. And in particular, when there's like family members who have died in, in just a few generations back, it just like it just set off a full-on flame. That you don't you don't mess with these aspects of, of the Jewish world. So 
there, there isn't really a more controversial or loaded issue for the New Testament to take on, but this happens to be the, the one that most of the documents are, are after. So can you guys think of any equivalent to when it's like, uh, it's faith, it's values that are being fought for, and there's a war that's happened? Like what, what might be our kind of modern day equivalent to what, what I was just talking about? I have, I have one come to mind where it's, it's an identity of a people group, there's a history, there's a war involved, there's a faith involved. Any, any equivalents come? That well, like Ireland in the 70s. Okay, yeah. Like a charged modern issue. Any others come to, come to mind? Sudan. Sudan, sweet. What about in our neighbors to the south? Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought of like gun rights. In the U.S., uh, like where it's it's folks who say that they have a constitutional and a Christian right to have guns, and it's it's their right because it's self-defense, and it's wrapped up in, in a much larger story. Uh, so to frame this passage that we're going to jump into, there's this turning point in Acts 8 with the death of Stephen. We've been learning about that. Um, and the persecution of Christians is, is now happening in, in Jerusalem. So we're reading about these stories where Jesus and angels are appearing to, literally, directly to, to folks, these characters in the New Testament. In Acts 9, we read about this happening to Paul, and then in our passage today in Acts 10, it's happening to uh, Peter and a, another Roman soldier. And the main emphasis of, of what these appearances are targeting is that that the blessing that's supposed to, or like the, the invitation into the new covenant, Jews who had become Christians thought it was just for themselves, that this is all along, this is what the storyline of the Bible has been after. We are now receiving Abraham's blessing. But that's like precisely what the Holy Spirit and these angels are trying to, to change. They're trying to alter that perspective. So can we throw the passage up on the on the I'm going to read from here. You guys can read from there. Or i got to crank my head. So at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So this is a German soldier who seems to be a bit unlike the rest. Not the German soldier. <laughs> a Roman soldier. <laughs> Who, uh, who seems to be a, a bit odd. He has this receptivity to God, and it sounds like he's a, he's a Christian. So he, uh, one day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctively saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. I wonder if this has ever happened to Cornelius, or if, if this is the first time he's terrified. The angel answered, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who's called Peter. We know who that is. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Which, that's a really interesting point. So Simon Peter is already with a Tanner. So that means it's somebody dealing with hides, likely non-kosher hides. So that means that uh, 
it, this, this idea of relativizing some of these laws that were once held so closely is now up for grabs. It's like it's something that Peter may have been negotiating as if it's truly of value. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. This is, and I don't think we, I only learned about this from studying, but I don't think we can always catch the, the gravity of what's going on because this is a Roman soldier meeting up with a Jew and they're gonna, they're trying to come together, and that's crossing all sorts of social and cultural and religious boundaries. But you just, you just would not find that. Jews do not eat with Roman soldiers. That's not gonna happen. Uh, we have another quote. This is how N.T. Wright kind of captures this moment. Uh, so I'm gonna read it from here. So N.T. Wright says this, at this point we must remind ourselves of one of the basic points about the Jewish food laws. It wasn't just the Jews weren't allowed to eat pork. There was a whole range of meat they were forbidden. They were listed, for example, in Leviticus 11, and were much discussed by later generations. And these food laws, whatever their origin, served to mark out the Jewish people from their non-Jewish neighbors, a rule reinforced by the prohibition on Jews eating with non-Jews, sharing table fellowship. This is not supposed to happen. Jews don't do this. This is like a, this is a missing of the mark in their eyes. The reasoning was clear. The people you sit down with, the people you, sorry, the reasoning was clear. The people you sit down and eat with are family, but the Jewish family has been called by God to be separate. This is, this is, uh, this is, the, this is what would be in Peter's mind. No, to engage with a Roman soldier would be to miss the mark of, of what it really means. To bear witness to his special love and grace to the world, and must not therefore compromise with the world. Verse 9, we can go back there. Hang it in there, folks. It's a bit of a it's just a bit of a story, like the passage today, but there's a bunch of different things going on. I heard somebody compare it to uh, Dunk, the, the movie in Dunkirk, is that we just read about one scenario in somebody's life, and then we're gonna read about another scenario, but then there's gonna be this converging moment. You know, when, you know when you watch a movie and there's like a few different plot lines happening at the same time and towards the end they somehow overlap? That's what we're going to see here. So verse 9. About noon the following day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. It's like, okay, that's, this is interesting. This is Acts for you. It's like just chock full of interesting stories. So here's Peter falling into a trance. He saw heaven opened up and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. So this is wacky and interesting. A sheet has fallen down and, and it's fallen down to earth by its four corners. corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. What does that mean? I gotta be interpret that. Get up, Peter, kill and eat all the four-legged creatures. What would kosher laws say? No, don't do that. That's not, that's nuts. You would not be obeying God if you did that. But this is coming from God, so it's like super interesting. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied, as a good Jew, 
I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. As a good Jew, the voice spoke to him a second time, Do not call anything unpure that God has made clean. So something new is happening. It's, it's this innovation or this fulfillment, it's permission to, to go elsewhere. You're not just bound to these laws that for one time were your, your cultural marker. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wandering, wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon was who, who sorry, if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. So Cornelius had this vision. He sent these guys. They're now in front of Peter's house, and they're, they're calling to him, saying, are, "Are you are you actually this person?" And while Peter, and it's just being like, it's just giving so much detail, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, he's, he's in the house, people are out front, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. This is like direct, this is direct orders here, the Holy Spirit speaking to Peter, he's receptive in the same way that Cornelius was receptive. Lost my place. Oh yeah, there we go. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. So this this invitation that Peter would be fearful about, because these are Romans showing up. God is saying, No, go with them. Try try this new thing out. Peter went down and said to them, I'm the one you're looking for. Why do you come? Keeps going. The men replied, we've come from Cornelius the centurion. centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who's respected by all the Jewish people. They're trying to gain credibility so that Simon will actually listen to them. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to this, his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day he arrived in Caesarea, which is about 30 miles north. Cornelius was expecting them, and they called together his relatives and close friends. Interesting, right? And the story goes on, but it's, it's, it's kind of like this dynamic story, and there's probably twice the length of that, so I kind of wanted to call it a twist there. Uh, but to kind of head towards this becoming practical, because like, what, what are we doing with this? I remember being uh, 19 and 20, and I alluded to this experience all the time, and just being like particularly challenged by all that was involved in trying to actually walk out the, the Christian faith. And it was like this, uh, this emotional challenge, where I alluded to this lot, where it was like this, this purgation. I was learning to not be not be like this young idiot who was trying to like have a sound mind and, and try to follow Jesus. And I stumbled across this author by Craig, and he, he just went on and on and on, literally in all of his books, and he's a prolific author about God's compassion, which I, I, that's become a topic I really like. And compassion in particular is, is unique because it's, it's different than empathy and it's different than sympathy. How, how would you guys, if 
I gave you a few seconds, how would you differentiate between compassion, empathy, and sympathy? Uh, I thought we can actually do it shot. Passion, the word itself, means, so passion means suffering, and calm means with. So oh, compassion okay. is to suffer with somebody. Awesome. Ooh. Yeah. Aaron asks, how is that different from empathy? You can be empathetic without being hurt. You can hurt somebody, no one can hurt. You're being empathetic. It's compassion like an yeah. Whereas empathy is just a feeling, compassion is the action packing out of those feelings. Yeah, it's like a mobilization of empathy, as I, as I understand it. And it's, I think in the, the biblical worldview, it's to do with God's gut. There's this, there's this word, swatnitsamai, uh, in Greek, and it says that it's like from the entrails of God, the feelings of love and hatred arise. And that word is used all throughout the scriptures. And what it means is that out of God's love, he's, he's pursuing us. So it's not just God feels something, it's this movement towards people so that they know that they're, they're dignified human beings. So I was 19 and, and 20 years old-ish, and I came across this author, and he had one book that I probably read like three times at the minimum, then he had these sermons online, and I just remember spending literally hundreds of hours just listening to this guy, because what he was doing was so challenging my, my framework of who I thought God would be. He told this one story that I would love to share with you guys. So I was, I, I found these like, these YouTube videos from 2001. This author has since died. But he told this story uh, on this topic about God's compassion. I'll bring this together between the story of Cornelius and what I'm talking about here, with compassion in a second. So we told this story. Back in 1981, this is Brendan Manning, I mentioned that. Back in 1981, a friend of mine, an Episcopal priest in Columbus, Ohio, walked into his office on a Monday morning and wrote a hasty letter to the vestry, then went back home and wrote a letter to his wife and three kids, all of whom were above 10 years old, that he was abandoning them he fled to a logging camp in New England and took a job as a logger. One Saturday afternoon, it was about 10 degrees below zero, and the priest was living in a portable aluminum trailer that he had rented. The only source of heat was a teeny portable space heater. The space heater suddenly quit, and within minutes, the temperature in the portable aluminum trailer dropped. Shivering and in a fit of rage, the priest picked up the heater flung it through the window and shouted, what did he show? Christ, I hate you. Get out of my life. I'm done with this Christian crap. It's over. It's all over. He sank to his knees, defeated and weeping, and in the bright darkness of faith, he heard a voice from within say, it's okay, Kevin. I understand. I'm here. I'm with you, and I'm for you. Then he heard Jesus weeping within him. Christ felt what he was feeling, overwhelming experience of intimacy. 
That same afternoon, Kevin Martin packed his bags, returned to Columbus to be reconciled with his family and his church, and he's gone on to pastor in Brennan Milling's words. The most spirit-filled church in America, St. Luke's in Seattle, Washington. When I was trying to wrap my mind around it, what's the deepest truth about the passage that we're reading this morning? It teaches us lots about who the Jews are and why these cultural markers are so relevant to their story. But beyond that, it's God working through receptive people for the sake of including other people into the, into the, the new inaugurated kingdom of God where everybody is dignified and has a place. I gleaned uh, just a couple questions for myself that maybe you want to borrow. And this is, this is the wrap-up. So a couple questions are, is, and this is, take, take them home with you. They might, they might be helpful. I think they're, they're just kind of honest. Is, am I experiencing uh, God's love for me? Like, is, that, is compassion mobilized in my life? And is uh, the story of Kevin Martin and Peter and Cornelius, is that, is that my experience or if somehow have I put kind of God on, on mute for, for some reason? And secondly, the story we read is about radically including other people into the, the benefits and advantages of following Jesus. Is that something that I, I am creatively doing? Am I actually pursuing that? I made just a short list of, of what those things could be. Uh, like, I guess, what would I want to creatively include people into? Which is the benefits of following Jesus? I thought, of, I thought of this smallest, that I have a community. There's a lot of folks that just don't have that. They don't have a community that they call home, and, and maybe not a family. That I, that I move through the day with a sense of, of God's compassion. Like that's a, that would be seriously helpful for some people that I know. Uh, that I experience the miraculous. <laughs> that, that, that just sounds insane to my friends, experiencing the miraculous. Uh, and then on another, on a, on a kind of a bit more of a rare occasion, uh, do, do I hear God's voice? Is that like actually a part of, of my life? So I lend those questions to you. Are you experiencing God's love? Or am I experiencing God's love sort of story? And am I creatively including, am I creatively including others into the benefits of following Jesus? So Lord, thanks for this opportunity to uh, sing some songs together to get together again as a community. Uh, yeah, to, to celebrate these advantages that come from following you, Jesus. If somehow that, that has gone great, which was once vibrant and colorful for the folks in the room, just pray that some stories in Scripture and from the people around us, that we would see that vitality and that vibrancy return, in particular into difficult situations that we're experiencing with experiencing in life that um, feel bleak or grim or tragic or whatever. Help us to uh, put our faith in you, Jesus, where we see uh, all areas of our life begin to have a bit more color and we have a greater capacity to suffer and show resilience. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Right, our final song, folks.